Hello and welcome back to the Brooklyn Beat Podcast. Uh, coming at you from Nashville, New Hampshire, still is uh, <laughs> myself, Justin Worsley. With me as always in Brooklyn is Nick Benyoris. Nick, what's up? Uh, not much. Um, so we are now going to discuss the AFC East. This is part seven of our eight-part uh, series on the 2018 NFL Draft. Um, if you go to Google Play or the App Store, you can see the other um, episodes. Uh, so let's start with the Jets. So the Jets last year entering the season were definitely the running for the first overall pick. Uh, they were just they're straight up terrible. Um, and then they screwed up and they won too many games. And then um, I guess they realized like, oh shit, like we shouldn't be winning games. It's not really you know the, the smart thing to do. It's not really the right thing to do. Right. And then they uh, reverted back to you know typical Jets fashion um, where. You know, they try their best, but their best is usually, like, you know, not that good. Um, but in just, you know, just a, just a spell of serendipity, they, they landed the number six pick in the draft. Um, they traded with the Colts to move up to number three, and they were able to land Sam Darnold, who really, as from a pure passer standpoint, he's the best quarterback in this draft. Um, how lucky did the Jets get, Nick? Uh, they, they had a couple of things fall their way. You know, I, I think in their eyes, Sam Darnold was the uh, premier quarterback in the draft. And for a team that's has really been starved for a quarterback, or, you know, for a franchise quarterback for uh, really ever, basically, you know, it, it was it was a really it was a really big, uh, really big luck luck for them to, to end up with that with that pick because. What had happened was, you know, when they had six, they traded up and they gave them, what are they, they gave three second rounders, I think? I believe or, that's correct. They gave us three second rounders to move up basically three slots, which, you know, seems like, you know, uh, a pretty decent cost. But the, the weird part about it was they moved up to three, you know, with the possibility that they could end up with the third best quarterback in the draft, you know, in theory, based on where they took it, because you figured. Cleveland had to be going quarterback one. And then, you know, the Giants with uh, Eli Manning on, on the downswing, you know, were a, were a potential destination for a quarterback too. So I prefer the term back nine when referring to Eli Manning. Yeah. Because Eli Manning is all ups. He has no downs. Yeah, that's true. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think it kind of came down to, you know, when you're looking at it, you're like, all right, well, I understand, you know, they wanted to get their hands on a quarterback, but for them to have made that trade, they really must have felt comfortable with at least three quarterbacks on the board. But I, well, I know that they were really smitten with uh, with Baker, also. Yeah, um, I, 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 th- I think that must have been the case too. I, you know what? I, I think they might have thought that Baker was more likely to fall to them than he did. Uh, you know, meaning like they probably. Maybe they had Donald one, Baker two, but they figured you know one of them would fall to three, so they were kind of okay with it. Uh, you know, thinking maybe the Giants would have gone in a different direction, uh, quarterback-wise. So uh, you know, they got kind of lucky, but I, I think they got the number one guy on the board. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, they might have valued Mayfield higher. It seems like after the draft that uh, the actual NFL community seemed to value Baker Mayfield uh, higher than uh, not everybody in the draft community because I, I think there's a lot of people who were high on him. But uh, at least some of the people, I, you know, personally, I, I wasn't uh, too crazy about him as a prospect. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of red flags for me there that I, I'd probably try to stray away from, but you know I, I do know that he was he was a really popular pick. So you know it kind of worked out for them where they they gave it three three second rounders, they moved to the third pick, and you know they kind of had Sam Darnold, uh, a guy who 
uh, at this point last year was the shoe-in for the number one overall pick at quarterback, you know, and the Jets were gearing up for what looked to be a lost season where they were – people talk about them not winning a single game, which I thought was a little excessive, but, you know, I wouldn't have been shocked to see them go 2-14, 3-13 kind of thing. So, uh, you know, when they ended up with the sixth pick, which, I mean, well, it's not great either, but they were a competitive team for most of the year. Uh, they were able to trade up and get their guy, and, you know, it worked out pretty well for them. So, um, with this move happening, along with the re-signing of Josh McCown and them signing Teddy Bridgewater, um, they had five quarterbacks on their roster, and the first domino fell uh, today as they released Bryce Petty. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Bryce Petty deserved a shot in this roster with what's going on at quarterback. But I think he at least deserved it over, for the time being, Christian Hackenberg, who is still gainfully employed by this uh, phenomenal Jets front office. Well, you know, with that, I guess they kind of look at it as Petty is, is a guy who's further along in his development in a way, in a sense of like, you know, he's probably kind of where he's at, and that's kind of it. Whereas Hackenberg, uh, from last I heard, was completely tearing down everything and trying to, you know, I guess... Relearn, Throw it all the trash. Yeah, basically relearn the quarterback position, which I don't know how fruitful that's going to be. You know, I'll be honest, it wouldn't shock me to see both of uh, to see Hackenberg not make the final roster either. I just think at this point in time, they're probably going to hold on to him because, you know, between... You have McCown as, your, as your veteran guy. Yeah, he's a camp body. You got McCown as your veteran guy. And then, uh, you know, I look at Bridgewater and I think to myself, this was a kind of a weird fit for him. I'm surprised that he agreed uh, to sign with the Jets. Uh, well, they're saying now, too, that he may not even make the final roster either, well, which yeah, wouldn't surprise you know, me. We, we talked about this uh, earlier, you know, regarding their uh, salary. Uh, he's he's not guaranteed uh, a lot of money. They they actually can get out of his contract pretty easily. So, yeah, I think only like a half a million dollars is actually guaranteed, yeah, which is just a signing bonus. Like, which is basically a signing bonus. So uh, they could get out of that contract, uh, you know, pretty free and clear uh, without any uh, responsibilities after that. So I, 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 I could see him as a guy who – you know, false the numbers game and probably want rather seek an opportunity elsewhere too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, at the very least, there's always going to be a job open. There's going to be, someone's going to go down. Someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. Especially nowadays. There's going to be, there's going to be a team is not confident in their backup. They're going to look to sign somebody off the street, which he would be the first name called. Yep. Um, so obviously the Jets didn't have a second rounder. They actually had two second rounders, but they gave them both up to Indianapolis. Uh, as you remember, they acquired Seattle's second rounder in the Sheldon Richardson trade. No. Um, so in the third rounder, they took Nathan Shepard from the small school Fort Hayes State. Um, Fort Hayes is Division Two, um, and I know that I know that this guy turned a lot of heads, which I know was one of the reasons why he was drafted um, as early as he was, but. I mean, there really is there really isn't a lot of tape. He's he's Canadian, six four, three fifteen. To really gauge, like you know, from at least our perspective, like you know, how good of a player he's going to be. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of tough to grade, especially for where he's at. You know, I think another thing that I'm not going to say hold him back, but uh, he, he graded as a decent athlete. At the same time, uh, you know, he's kind of old. Um, he's going to be a 25 year old rookie, I believe, or he's turning 25 or something like that. But he'll be a, he'll be 25 at some point in, in you know in the 2018 season. And you know, with guys like that, uh, there's not a ton of room for improvement. And you know, uh, what, what was the term Joker used? Aggressive expansion. Yes, yes. So you know, there's not a ton of room for that. 
So it's kind of like in the sense of, you know, if that's where he is, that's kind of where he's going to be. So, you know, I, I, I thought there was a couple of, of different directions they probably could have gone in, uh, you know, with that move. Uh, another, another reason being, you know, um, the Jets, the Jets D-line, you know, it has some bodies on it. They're not uh, devoid of talent. You know, they have Leonard Williams is a very good player and stuff. So, you know, I guess they're trying to rebuild it a little bit. Uh, I thought they probably could have went in a, a little, little better direction, though. They also stripped down uh, a lot of what they had going on there, too, if you remember, because, I mean, at this point last year, they had Sheldon Richardson, Leonard Williams, and uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, which was arguably one of the best uh, trios of defensive linemen in the NFL. But yeah. they were worried they couldn't, um, they couldn't re-sign Richardson, who's in a contract year, so they shipped him off to Seattle. Um, which, by the way, that trade did not really work out for Seattle. Um, he wasn't bad with them, but they gave a second rounder for, for basically a rental player in a year where they did not even make the postseason. Um, and now he's on Minnesota, he's gonna, which is just insane how much talent they have in that yeah, line. Yeah, that's a pretty loaded D-line right there. Um, um, yeah, I mean, you know what? It's, it's funny. Um, the guy I liked more for the Jets uh, for the D-line was the guy they took in uh, round six. Uh, I think his name was uh, Foley Farakasi. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but uh, he was a guy who... Uh, Fuller Runso, Farukasi, yeah, from UConn. Farukasi, right, yeah. So, uh, I, I shortened it to Foley, so, you know, sue me. Um, Nick Foley. He's, um, he's a big guy, uh, good length, uh, good arm length, you know, uh, and he's a guy who played played at UConn, you know, so not really a, a football factory, although they, they put out a few uh, better players in the last couple of years. Um, so I, I think he's a guy who kind of went a little under the radar, probably should have been drafted a little higher, uh, probably is drafted a little higher if he plays for a bigger program, has, you know, some splash in some bigger games. I, I thought he was an interesting prospect. Uh, I think uh, I, I could see him develop into something and, you know, uh, at the very least he's not, you know, 25 years old. So that always helps. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then. I mean, Darnold was the biggest grab, but, I mean, none of their other, other picks really, you know, they don't really wow me as a whole. And, I mean, this isn't to degrade the Jets, but, um, you know, they had to trade a lot of their assets to move, move to get this pick. They got their man, but I think this is kind of that in-limbo year for them. And I think next year they need to focus on uh, building around him. Yeah, I, you know, they took uh, Chris Herndon out of four for, uh, out of Miami, and uh, they do have a big opening at tight end. You know, uh, they, they took a flyer on Austin Severian Jenkins. And, you know, he, he, he flashed pretty well and stuff. And, you know, a, a lot of times rookies, uh, rookie's best friend is a, a, a pass-catching tight end. So I, I think Hernan's going to go there. He's going to have an opportunity to, uh, you know, it, there's not there's a lot of opportunity ahead of him because there's not a lot of competition there. So I think he's going to go there, and, and he'll have a chance to, uh, you know, be a player there. I, I think he's a uh, an okay blocker. I don't think he's great, but I think he's, you know, good enough to kind of be a three-down guy there, so you don't have to really worry about it. So I could see him getting a, a pretty good chance early to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, let's talk about the other team in New York, the team who actually does play in New York, uh, <laughs> Buffalo. So uh, Buffalo was long rumored to be trading up to take a quarterback. Um, I know the sexy thing was to make a trade with the Giants. I didn't really buy into that, and lo and behold, on draft, it didn't happen. I really love that Buffalo is able to trade up, get who I really think was their guy, and still keep their other second-round pick. They wound up trading up both those selections to take um, 
guys, obviously the first pick being Josh Allen, the quarterback from Wyoming. Uh, the second pick being Tremaine Evans, the linebacker from Virginia Tech. Um, Josh Allen, to me, is a good fit in Buffalo yeah. uh, from the perspective of he's got a big arm, and you need that arm strength in Buffalo, especially in the winter when it's cold, when uh, the winds are blowing like, like there's no tomorrow. Yep. Um, and he comes, from, he comes from Wyoming, and Wyoming gets cold in the winter. Um, so he's, he's already used to those elements. It's not like it's not like EJ Manuel, who had the strength of playing in Florida, and like that cold weather is just – it's a hard adjustment when you're a quarterback. Um, and then Tremaine Edmonds slipped a little bit. Um, he's a high athleticism guy. He uh, is another guy who he – fits, he fits more of a knee than I think people realized. Um, I think Jerry Hughes is the final year of his deal – uh, Lorenzo Alexander, uh, we picked in 2017 to be our one hit wonder and he had a phenomenal 2017, took a step back in 2018. Um, and I think for the most part, they're taking those, those guys who are like highly athletic, who don't really produce a lot in college. You really take those guys because they're raw and you see them as somebody whose athleticism will give them a higher ceiling, especially with the right coaching. Yeah. I, I mean, you know what it is? I'm a fan of taking athletes, uh, in certain in certain instances, my thing is is this is that uh, you know if, if somebody's talented, somebody's not. It obviously matters. But I will say this: you know, you can't teach a guy how to be big. You can't teach a guy how to be you know strong in a, in, a, in a certain in a certain way. So there's a lot to there's a lot more to work with. You know, like if, if all things being equal, I'd rather take a guy who's a better athlete than the guy who's worth at, worse at. You know, now that's not to say that the best athletes in the NFL, all the best players, are not, but. You know, when 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 you're when you're taking a risk on guys who are you know toolsy, the word I like to use, you know, you, you're trying to take a risk on guys. You know, like you like offense with long arms. You know, uh, it's not a requirement that they can't produce without it. But hey, you know what? It does help them do the job. So it's it gives them the works. bigger upside. Yeah, it gives them the, it gives them a bigger upside. So I mean, that's kind of what happens. You know, regarding the, the Bills draft, uh, I agree with you. I think Allen is a a pretty good long term fit for them. Uh, you know, it's going to get cold there. You know, they have a guy. I, I know that, the, you know, uh, Josh Allen is a very uh, polarizing prospect. You know, a lot of people are fans of him. Uh, a lot of people are not. You know, uh, he's, Mel Kuyper loves him. Uh, Mel Kuyper's a big fan, so I don't know what that means for uh, Josh Allen's future. But, you know, a lot of people are fans of him. A lot of people are not. I, I think there's, there's a lot to work with there. Uh, I don't think he's a finished pro- prospect by, by any means. He probably needs more work than – at least, at least as much or more work than the rest of the prospects, you know, but like, you know, like we said, you know, toolsy, toolsy is a thing, you know, the guy's got, guy's got a very impressive arm. Like, you know, uh, that's, that's one of the, what do you feel like 82 yards on his, uh, on his I, I, I'm talking more, see, you know, to me, distance is one thing, but I mean, I seen him make some throws just like right down the middle of the field. Where it's, it looks like there's a vapor trail on the ball. Like it's, yeah, it's, there's zip on and everything. Yeah. Too. You know, it's impressive. I mean, that's great and all. You also need to be able to put touch on a ball too and stuff. But you know, he's he's an he's an impressive uh, physical specimen. And I also think that uh, I'm going to say this with the caveat that I'm not including the Twitter stuff. But I think yeah, make sure he doesn't go on Twitter while he's yeah. I think his pre-draft, uh, his whole process went really really well for him. You know, I, I think he he showed well at his pro day. I think his interviews uh, went really well from everything that I heard. Uh, he had the highest score on the Wonderlick, which I think was surprising for a lot of people because I think a lot of people anticipated uh, somebody else, maybe like a Josh Rosen, to end up with the highest score. So uh, that was, you know, that was a little bit eye-opening too. 
Uh, I don't put a ton of stock in the Wonderlick, but, you know, it's one of those things where I'm not going to put a ton of stock in it, but I'd rather you have a really good grade than a really bad grade on it. Especially, um, and I think we talked about this before, uh, for the Wonderlicks, I value the score for quarterbacks and I value it for offensive linemen, specifically centers. Yeah. Um, the, the ones where you really, you, you need to be able to, in a sense, use logic and um, for things like setting the defense or scanning, like reading what's going on. Um, and having a good Wonderlook score does not um, mean that you're going to be successful. But having a bad Wonderlook score is a better gauge about whether or not uh, you will be successful, though, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I would just say, meaning in the sense of uh, it's more of a it's more of a negative than a positive, basically. You know, uh, exactly. So it's, doing good, you know, doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Doing good doing is, bad, is, isn't, isn't a path to success, but doing bad is more likely to be a path to failure. And I know a lot of people like the site, like that. Um, I think Dan Marino had like a 16. I think Joe Montana had like a 13. Yeah, but I mean, there's anomalies was, in everything, though. But that was also 30 years ago, too, and it's, it's a much different game right. now yeah, than it was 30 years ago. Um, especially this is more, more complicated offenses, more complicated defenses. And, and I'm not, you know, diminutizing what Marino and Montana accomplished. They're obviously both all-time greats. Of course. Um, but the game, the game is just different today, and you, you, don't, you don't want a dumbass at quarterback. I mean, that's what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's my thing, you know um, – you don't need to be a genius to be to, to you know to succeed at, at every position in the NFL. Uh, I think there are positions where you just need to be able to be, you know, good at what you do. But quarterback, I don't think is one of them. I don't see a, a situation where being a quarterback and you know being dumb, you know per se, uh, is is going to help you. So, you know, it's the kind of thing where you know you, you kind of need to have some smarts to you or be able to decipher some things and. You're going to be seeing a lot, and I think you know nowadays, offenses are more complex. Uh, they're more sophisticated. Uh, the defenses they're running against are also uh, the same. You know, so it's it's a different it's a different world now than it was. You know, like you said, and I think it's more of a scenario. I mean, where, Trump is president. Yeah, Trump is president exactly. You know, and I think we're just more aware of the idea that you know things are complex. You need you need to be able to figure things out uh, quicker than you used to. You know, so. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I think to me, it's I'd rather you just have a good score and me not worry about you having a bad score than you have a bad score and me worry about you. Because, I, you know, having a great one lick is it's, it's great and all, but I probably wouldn't let that be the deciding factor on something. But if you had a really bad one, it would worry me about a quarterback prospect. I think, like, uh, the first-round picks in the past uh, 10 years, I think, like, Blaine Gabbard had the best one lick score. I think he had, like, a 43. Right. So yeah. I mean, so, just to yeah. just to give yeah. you context into what the about the score itself. Yes, I know, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, but on the other side of the coin, like Vince Young had like a six, and I'm pretty sure Jamarcus Russell scored pretty low as well. Yeah. You know, you know who somebody I actually really did like uh, on Buffalo's draft, and we'll wrap this one up here. Um, I actually, I'm actually a fan of Wyatt Teller. I from think, Virginia Tech. Yeah, from Virginia Tech. I I think he's a guy that uh, there's not a lot of uh, flexibility there. I think he's he's a guard. Uh, he's not going to play center. He's not going to play tackle. So I think that kind of limited his, uh, you know, his upside a little bit in the sense of where he's going to go, where he's going to get drafted and kind of thing. So I think he was uh, a day three prospect uh, based on that alone. Uh, that said, you know, as a day three guy, I actually uh, was a fan of Wyatt Teller. You know, I had taken him. Uh, we did the mock draft where I had taken him for the Giants, I think, in round five. So, you know, um, where he went, he ended up going um, 
He ended up going in round five, right around where I took him. So, I mean, I, I was actually surprised to see him drop that far. I, I think as a guard prospect, he's the kind of guy who he can kind of come in and, uh, you know, he might be able to play early on too. Uh, I just, you know, I, I think maybe his upside's capped in the sense of maybe people don't view him as an all-pro guard, but I think he could be a, a, a good pro, uh, and he's a guy who can come in early and, and play from, you know, day one almost. And I have to say, too, what's really surprising about Buffalo is they took a lot of hits on their offensive line uh, with Eric Wood being forced to retire, with uh, Richie Incognito uh, hanging him up. And then coming uh, and back then, and then hanging him up again. And then oddly acting like he's going to come back and be hanging up again. Uh, they shipped Cordy Glenn, which is somewhat understandable, though, too, because Cordy Glenn's had some health issues. Um, but you wouldn't expect them to take a, an offensive lineman early in the draft, which is why it's a little surprising they waited until, you know, around the tail end of round five. It was. Um, it was. Uh, I mean, I think they're, they're set with uh, Deion Dawkins at left tackle. I think they liked him last year. That was, that was part of the reason why uh, I think moving Cordy Glenn was uh, so easy for them. Yeah, it, made, it definitely made life easier for them whenever uh, you know, Dawkins uh, came out. Right. So, I mean, I think that was part of it. And um, I, I believe they signed uh, Russell Boldine, which I wouldn't consider a fix. Uh, you know. So my favorite Russell Bodine story is um, Pro Football Focus graded him like fifty three point one. And for anyone listening who's not who's not familiar with Pro Football Focus's scores, that's terrible. Um, it's out of a hundred. So, yeah, it's out of a hundred. If you're a ninety or above, you're considered elite. Um, 85 to 89 is very, very good. Um, 80 so to so 84 forth. is good. It goes down. And then the threshold for a below average player is a score of 60. Uh, Russell Bonin was a 53. Um, but they did that. And yet for their like offseason preview for the Bengals, they listed him as their must re-sign player. <laughs> right, that was really weird. I didn't really get that one either. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a weird one. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I did like the color move. I thought that was a good one. And you know, I guess we'll, we'll see what Buffalo does moving forward. Um, just because I'm not entirely sure, and I wouldn't be surprised because he's in North Carolina, is Austin Prohl Ricky's son? He I'm, is. I just looked it up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he is, yeah. Um, by the way, I have always been a long fan of uh, Ricky Prohl. Really? Um, yeah, I always I always liked him. You know, I don't think he's, like, you know, like a top five receiver. No, no, no. Didn't, but... didn't bother you that – didn't he win a championship against you? That didn't count. That never happened. I, I ref- okay. The Super Bowl's canceled, if you remember. Um, but we, he's weren't, not even- we were invited. Punch was served. <laughs> he also won one with the, uh, with the Colts, too, his uh, final year. Did he really? Yeah, in uh, 2006. I didn't know he played for the Colts in 2006. Yep. Are you sure you're not thinking of Brandon Stokely? No, I'm literally looking at it right now on his Wikipedia page. Really? Wow. Well, he must have gotten hurt or something. He probably, he probably didn't play. I mean, he was – how old at that time? I mean, that was – 12 years ago, and, uh... Wow. He did play yeah, he was, he was, like, 38 that year. Yeah, he was old. He's 50 years old now, man. Jesus. Oh, he came out of... Reti- oh, never mind. You know what happened? He came out of retirement to replace uh, Brandon Stokely. So, we got hurt that year. Look at that, man. White man's helping out the white man receivers. Yeah, yeah. You got <laughs> to quote Josh Allen and, and not myself. Uh, <laughs> what did he say? If it ain't white, it ain't right or something like that? Which... I'm not defending Josh Allen. I'm not condoning no, what no, he no. said, but lot, I'm fairly certain. Were... I'm fairly certain, given the context of when he tweeted that, that he was watching Modern Family. Um, and for those of you who don't watch the show, there's an episode where um, the Dumpy family goes on vacation, and Phil, Ty Burrell's character, um, 
embarrasses the family and basically pisses everybody off. They're in like Jamaica, and he keeps um. He was on the he was on the white team for the volleyball game at like their all inclusive resort. So he kept screaming, "If you ain't white, you ain't right." And wasn't understanding that it was, it was the, pretty the, racist. What he was yeah, saying, "If you take it to something else, yeah, I hear that one." <laughs> so I like I didn't I haven't gone through the ways of verifying this, but given that you know it was like 2012, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's when the episode came out. Right. I like. And I know it sounds a little naive to say, but I kind of want to believe that that's kind of like what happened, and it's gone out of context. Yeah, over the years. I, I don't. I don't really think he realized how poorly that that would that could look to some. You know, the thing is, like, listen, I'll be honest. You know, I think everybody goes through the Facebook sometimes and kind of like winces at some of the things I said. Like, oh, like just because what I mean. Like, I know sometimes for me, it's like I'm just like, man, what was I thinking? You know, writing this or writing that, and or like. You know why are you so angry? You know, like so. I, that's why, I, like, I wouldn't really get hung up in it. You know, if if that was something that you know he was an older kid doing that, like, I, I'd say if he did it like last month, I'd be like, oh my god, this right? Is not yeah, smart. you know. But he's he's a dumb kid. Like, you know, what, what you, at some point, what do you expect out of kids too? You know, like, you know, this is the social media is a problem. You know, so uh, yeah. yeah. You know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, make your account private, man. I mean, that's another thing. <laughs> but like, but but again, like at the end of the day, we're not saying like. I'm not giving him a pass for saying the N-word. No, of course um, not. I don't think any of us are. Uh, but I think I think overall we kind of need to, like, look at the lexicon of everything, kind of realize that, you know, kids especially, they're stupid. They do stupid things. They see stupid things. Um, I think at the end of the day, like, this didn't directly hurt somebody or someone. Right, yeah. Um, I just I – think, I think he was out of line. I mean, that's, that's just what yeah, it Yeah, you know, it was, it was a dumb mistake he made, but I – you know. I don't think it was bad enough for him to sit there and, and pay for it for the rest of his career because of it too, you know. Speaking of uh, bad enough, let's talk about the Dolphins. Uh, the Sean Clem special. The yeah, shout out to uh, Sean Sean Kleimsick. If I spelled your name, I'm, I'm, name wrong. You know what? Fuck I'm, you. I'm calling him. I'm calling him by what what, what we know him as. Yes, Sean <laughs> is a uh, friend of the program. Uh, he's a big Dolphins fan. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Jaden Daly, who. Um, I hope he is listening to this. If you are, what's up? Jaden's the only person I know who is a Dolphins fan who does not hate Tom Brady. And it stems from the fact that he's a Michigan Wolverine fan for college. Uh, so that's some crossover right there. So it's the same way that a lot of Titans fans, like, didn't hate the Colts because of Peyton Manning. Yeah, I can see that one. So um, Miami has a lot of young talent in their secondary. But at the same time, it's not exactly great talent. Um, Xavier Howard... Really turned it around late in the year. Um, he had a phenomenal game against the Patriots, which um, kind of came out of saved, nowhere. Yeah. Saved my ass big time in fantasy because I was playing against Tom Brady that day, and if Tom Brady completed like a 17 yard pass at the end of the game, I would have lost, and he was just big time for me. So shout oh, out to man, you, remember that? Yeah, dude, it was uh, that was that was, uh, <laughs> that was a tough one. Um, so they took Minka Fitzpatrick in the first. Minka is. He's an interesting prospect because some people see him as a free safety. Some people see him as a cornerback. Um, Jersey boy, so, you know, I got love for him. Um, where do you – what do you see him as at the NFL level? Um, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I don't – I know a lot of people do see him as a cornerback. Uh, I, don't, I don't love him on the outside uh, playing cornerback. I think he's more of a, uh, you know, kind of do-it-all kind of guy. Uh, which you know, it's not a knock on him. You know, there's there's, there's definitely value there. You he's know, a center uh, fielder, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could see him as a center fielder. 
as a guy who kind of, you know, comes in and can cover the slot, you know, like I, I, he played and I just basically being used as the way he was used in Alabama. You know, he played, played slot corner, he played safety, he played a little, you know, nickel linebacker. Uh, you know what? He underrated. Uh, he's a pretty good blitzer. Uh, you know, he did a good job getting to the quarterback a lot of times when he was sent. So I think he's going to be one of those guys who's, you know, uh, kind of a movable chess piece kind of guy. I, I don't think he's a guy that I would necessarily just kind of pigeonhole into a uh, perimeter cornerback kind of role. I think you get more value out of him, you know, moving around uh, all over the field. Yeah, you definitely can't just assume his position. I mean, he don't, is – Definitely don't assume his position. He is position fluid. You know, I, you know who's somebody – he does – not necessarily in game, but the, the way he's used, it reminds me of uh, uh, Honey Badger. Yeah, and Honey Badger don't give a shit. Nah, yeah, Honey Badger just takes what he wants. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's kind of how I see him being used. So, a lot of these guys that you look at um, as they played corner in college, but uh, we see them translate as a safety to the NFL. Um, for the most part, I mean, most of their ceilings are usually they can't play outside, but they can play the slot, uh, which I definitely think Mika has the ability to do. Um, in the second round, uh, Miami addressed another need where they got tight end, uh, Mike Asicki. Another Jersey boy, actually from uh, my area, went to Southern Regional uh, out of Penn State. He – Miami's needed a tight end for what feels like forever, and it feels like everybody they grab just doesn't work out for them. Uh, I think, like, Randy McMichael is, like, their last decent tight end. And in recent years, they've had uh, Jordan Cameron, not Cameron Jordan. Um, they acquired Julius Thomas. Um, that didn't work out the well. Yeah, it, it, it didn't, and I think – people kind of realized it wasn't going to work out to begin with also just because right, yeah. Julius wasn't the same player post-Manning. I Ooh. Julius. I don't know who that was, but I'm watching uh, Ice Sports Center on the background, mm-hmm. and somebody from the Blue Jays is sliding to third base head first and kind of just like tumbled over the base. <laughs> that doesn't sound like the slide is supposed to be doing. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're doing it right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gasicki's somebody who I don't think he's ever going to block anybody. Which he's getting sticky with it. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's ever going to be used as a inline kind of blocker. I mean, he'll probably line up in line at some point, but I don't think he's ever going to be used. Uh, he'll be more of a move tight end. Yeah, he'll be more of a like a, you know used in that role, which is you know it's fine. Uh, he's very athletic. Uh, he's insanely athletic, really. I think Jake Very is uh, understatement. You know, super athletic. Uh, he's kind of guy. He's a big guy too. Six six. He's really really big. Uh, really really strong. He's you know he's athletic, um, and I think you know they'll probably just use him in that role. I know. You know, they ended up taking uh, another tight end later in the draft, uh, Durham Smythe. Uh, I don't know if it's Smythe or Smith, but... At Notre Dame. At Notre Dame. So, I think they're really trying to fix uh, their tight end room. Uh, another guy they, that they got that I <clears throat> I kind of liked a little bit, uh, especially where they got him, is uh, Jerome Baker, uh, the, the linebacker at Ohio linebacker State. Linebacker from Ohio State. Uh, they've... I feel like the Dolphins have had uh, linebacker problems uh, for years. You know, they went out, they got Kiko Alonso. Uh, they had a bunch of guys in there. Uh, Koa Missy, you know, uh, he, a couple of years back, was drafted in round two. Didn't really work out. Um, you know, but there was, there, was, there was a lot that kind of, um, you know, uh, was going on and off. And, you know, they had a, a bunch of different guys in there. And, you know, hopefully Baker's the kind of guy that can come in and, you know, really try to stabilize uh, that position for them. Um, and... I know that Kiko is a fan favorite, and I get it, especially because he's of Cuban descent. And he plays in Miami, of course, um, and I think it tends to mask um, what people actually think of him uh, for like for just typical fans of the Dolphins. Yeah, but 
Kiko himself really isn't a great player. Um, uh, I, I think he should have promised when he was at Buffalo that the injuries kind of took their toll on him. Yeah, I think that's. Kind of, I, I think he was a good player. Uh, I don't. He think was he at one point, anymore. but yeah, I, I agree with you. Exactly. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it, it's tough. You know, injuries kind of injuries play a part in things, and they take their toll and stuff. So, you know, it's something that does happen. You know, and uh, it, it does make it tougher. You know, what are you gonna do? Um. As far as Jerome Baker, um, I think he's decent as a coverage uh, player. He's not he's not great, um, specifically in zone. Um, but he can, in his box in the area, can keep up with receivers and DB. Um, you know, he's not gonna he's not gonna challenge uh, the ball, but he's also not gonna really give it many catches though either. Yeah. Um, but he's also, I mean, he's a great tackler. He's a good pass rusher. Uh, he's good against the run. Um, and I think when it comes down to, for the most part, uh, at linebacker, especially uh, like the outside positions, is the hardest thing for them to learn is how to cover in the NFL. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, when you make the jump from college to the NFL, you're dealing with a lot more um, athletic tight ends or you're dealing with slot receivers or you're dealing with True. basically offensive coordinators doing everything they can to exploit you and specifically you and your mismatches. Yeah. You know, uh, one – one thing about Baker that I, I didn't notice, uh, you know, when covering Barkley was uh, I'm pretty sure that he shadowed uh, Saquon Barkley in their game against each other. And Barkley didn't have a good game against Ohio State at all. Now, you know, that's a team effort. Ohio State's defense is super talented. You know, obviously we could tell that a lot of the guys that got drafted this year, they're going to have guys drafted next year. You know, Nick Bosa is somebody who might go in the top ten as well. And he wasn't in this There's year. There's actually rumors he may go first overall. Yeah, right I now. mean, I, that wouldn't shock me either. But, you know um, – he, he did a really good job on, on uh, Saquon Barkley in coverage. Actually, I think I think he only had like know, 20 yards receiving. I don't think he had a lot of yards in the game altogether. Uh, I think he's more of a, um, you know, a passing kind of down receiver, uh, a linebacker, excuse me. He's the kind of guy that I think can you be used on blitzes too, you know. So I, I'd be interested to see how they use him. Uh, you know, the, the game's changing now, so these kind of uh, – you know, uh, hopefully George's not listening to get angry, but these kind of sub-package linebackers are becoming more commonplace. <laughs> uh, you know, shout so, out to George Stanley. Shout out to George Stanley. So you know, these sub-package linebackers are becoming more, more commonplace and stuff. So you know, you're seeing a lot of that being, you know, more of the use anyway. And you know, uh, I think that's a guy that they're going to find a way to use, and you know, that's that's kind of where I see him being, you know, fit in. I think overall uh, in the NFL, it's starting to become more relied less on um, keeping your best players in the field at all times and kind of more or less filling your roster up with the best, best quality guys you can have so that you can rotate guys and keep them fresh, um, especially for the late season playoff push. Um, yeah. So another draft pick, just shouting this out because I know that uh, come time for our fantasy draft, um, Matt and Sean's team is definitely going to pick him. Is Jason Sanders the kicker for the uh, for the Dolphins who they took in the seventh round? <laughs> uh, he'll be there for about two weeks. He'll go uh, two for five on field goals, and then they'll release him. So I look forward to that. Fantasy. Classic. Uh, yeah, I can see that being the case too. Oh man, I'm pretty sure if Linda Mari was still eligible to be drafted, they would take him. Listen, don't talk down to Linda Mari. I used to draft him a lot in uh, Madden when I used to play. Dude, I saw a guy in Target once wearing a. Blue Dolphins Olinda Mari jersey. And I was legitimately impressed that they bought a kicker jersey. Do they even sell those? You have to order those specifically. I think you have to customize them. Yeah, you kind of have to, right? I can't imagine. Yeah. I, I, like, but that being said, like, the only kicker jersey I can imagine actually buying is Vinatieri. 
Fifth area, yeah. Like, he's only hit so many. And, I mean, I, I could see, you know, in a twist of kind of, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word we use, but I, I can see a Giants fan buying a Scott Norwood jersey. Uh, that's about it, though. Uh, I can't. Really I can see me finding somebody who's a Vikings fan, hating them, and buying them a Gary Anderson jersey, or Blair Walsh. <laughs> Blair missed that fucking kick. Yeah. What is with Minnesota and losing crucial games to kick with because of kickers? I mean, you know what? I I'm curious what they would rather do because. It seems like they're the only way they lose games is okay. We're either gonna have this kicker miss this field goal when he shouldn't, or we're gonna get our doors blown off by you know an NFC East team. So you know in the NFC Championship game. So I mean I don't know which way is worse to go about. It. I mean they've had some they've had some tough. You know what it is? No game no game is easy to lose, but man, there's some games that are a lot harder to lose than others. Like just the way you lose them. You know, like Minnesota's yeah. lost what two NFC Championship games, three NFC Championship games this this millennium. That as far as I'm, I know, that's correct. That's, yeah, um, so three of them was. Are you are you including when the Giants blew their doors oh, off this in millennium? Uh, two thousand. So they lost forty one nothing in that one when they were expected to win the game by a lot of people. Yeah, uh, uh, that was uh, when they had Cole Pepper. They had Moss. Yeah, that, that was that, that big offense. And then and the Giants had you know big bad Kerry Collins, and they just went in there and put on their shit kicking shoes and just kicked yeah, the shit out just, of them. They just got blown out, and then. They lost to uh, New Orleans when Brett Favre made one of the worst throws I've ever seen in my entire life. Even worse than the one against the Giants? Oh, yeah, that was way worse than the one against the Giants. <laughs> way worse. The one against the Giants was, you know. He, desperation. It wasn't it was desperation. He just, you know, he threw. He didn't throw it. He was, it was an out route. He didn't throw it hard enough. Like, you know, that's an interception that you see a lot. Like, you didn't put yeah. mustard on it kind of things like that. The one that he threw against New Orleans was an abortion of a throw. Oh, my goodness. Like, it's literally everything you've ever been taught as a quarterback, he did the opposite of on that play. Like, Sounds like I think, I think yeah, typical Brett Favre. Yeah, except I, I think Pro Football Focus uses that uh, throw as the prototypical minus two, which is a low, if you, know, if you are familiar with that, a negative two is the lowest grade you can get on one individual play. And that's, that's, what, they, that's what they had there. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Minnesota just has a really bad history of, of those picks, but you know, yeah. Um, so moving on from the uh, Dolphins, we have the final team, the team that basically wins the division every year. This is New England. Uh, New England also had two first round picks after trading away, uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, they landed two guys who were actually roommates in college at Georgia, uh, guard slash tackle Isaiah Wynn. And running back Sonny Michelle. Um, so the Patriots, they are just impossible to understand as far as the running game uh, because they change who their guy is on, on like a weekly basis. Um, Mike Gillespie scored three touchdowns the first week of the year, scored a second one or scored a fourth on the week after that, and then just faded into the darkness. Uh, James White's always been their pass catching guy. Uh, Rex Burkhead like went berserk at the end of the year. Uh, do you think Michelle gives us stability at the position, or do you think that it's just going to be same old running backs for New England? You know, they don't – so Belichick's a guy who kind of – I don't want to say devalues running back position. I just think he sees uh, the value in using multiple guys, multiple sets, multiple things, everything. You know, So I don't think it's that he devalues it, but I just think that he doesn't value having one lead guy. That said, you know, I can't remember – I want to say Lawrence Maroney was the last guy he used a first-round pick on running back i believe that's correct uh um, out of minnesota I, that was the year that maroney and marion barber were both taken in the first round 
Marion Barr was a first-round pick? Um, yeah, almost positive he is. Well, I, I don't think that he was. Anyway. I'm going to double-check. Don't worry. All right, go ahead. Double-check. <laughs> but, um, you know, so uh, he's kind of a guy that didn't really, you know. No, you're right. I'm sorry. He's a fourth-round pick. Okay. So yeah, he's sorry, kind of that's my bad. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, he's the kind of guy that doesn't really value a single running back. That's, uh, you know, you're taking a guy in its first round. I can't imagine that he's not going to at least lead the backfield in touches this year. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get 20 carries a game. I don't think the Patriots are that kind of offense anyway. Uh, I think they're only that kind of offense when, you know, uh, they're up big and they're just trying to, like, sledgehammer the lead away and whatever the case is, trying to ice the game. Kind of with, with what happened with Blunt a couple years ago, uh, who I wrote to a fantasy title. That was fun. Um, <laughs> but I, I see Michael, you know, Michelle uh, leading – leading the, the, the backfield in touches. You know, I, I think when you make that kind of investment uh, in, in, in a running back that high, you're kind of projecting him, in, if, if not to be your bell cow, to at least lead your committee, you know. So I, I think that he's the kind of guy that, you know, he should be looking at a floor of, I'd say, 12, 13 touches a game, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I don't think he'll be a 25-touch guy. I, I don't think he'll be a 25-touch guy um, on a lot of teams. So – I think he's the kind of guy that'll be used that way, though. So, I mean, it's an, it was an interesting pick. It definitely was uh, not one of the more expected picks of that of, of the first round. But it was surprising, you know, and, and they ended up getting uh, Isaiah Wynn earlier on, who, you know, I don't really know what the Patriots are thinking offensive tackle-wise. I, I personally like Isaiah Wynn uh, more on the inside. Oh, I definitely agree. I think he's a uh, best fit as a guard. I, I do, too, but... I wouldn't put it past uh, Belichick to look at him and at least give him a chance to win the left tackle job uh, out of training camp. So that, that definitely wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. Uh, another, th- another move they made that I thought was good, though, was pretty sure they gave up, what was it, a third rounder for Trent Brown? Uh, the, the right tackle Yeah, after the draft. Francisco. Oh, after round one, yeah. After San Francisco took uh, Mike McGlinchey in the top ten, they, they moved uh, their right tackle, Trent Brown, and the Patriots kind of pounced on it. Another thing the Patriots did that should be mentioned in the draft, they had a bunch of picks this year uh, for, you know, different reasons, including moving Cooks. And, uh, I'm pretty sure they picked up a, a day two and a day three uh, – I'm sorry, a round two and a round three pick for next year. Um, they had nine picks in this year's draft, and let's double check for next year. Um. But yeah, even uh, even this year having nine picks is uh, and none of them were comp picks either. They were all acquired either yeah. naturally or via trade. Right. Um, they didn't have a pick in the third or fourth round. That's the only real negative as far as them. Um, but they acquired um, Chicago's second round pick um, as part of the trade deal. They got uh, I think they got the Lions third rounder, and they got Detroit third rounder. Yeah. That's correct. Also, yeah. so uh, you know. And they and the, you know what is another thing is they use a couple of their picks for a couple of veterans. You know they went out and got uh, Trent Brown, like we said before. I'm pretty sure they got Danny Shelton. I think they traded picks for Corderell Patterson and Jason McCourty too. So yeah. you know uh, I I kind of I kind of get that part too. You know they, they'd rather you know especially they're a more veteran laden team. They're not they're definitely not rebuilding. Obviously you know they're just coming off back. They're retooling. They're retooling. They're coming off back to like Super Bowl appearances. Won one of them, lost one of them. So you know I, I definitely see that as a you know, as the as the kind of right move to make when you already have the loss that you have. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like those guys should be included in, into the draft class a bit because they're gonna they're gonna contribute too. One one of their picks that kind of made me laugh, but because you know, like it was so Patriots of them was uh, the wide receiver they took out of Miami, uh, Braxton. Berger. Oh, the wide receiver. Yeah, I, it's <laughs> like you looked at him and you're like, 
yeah, that's a patriot. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's. Uh, I love that meme that they shared where it's uh, Belichick looking through his binoculars and it shows the guy with uh, his shoulder pads, his jersey's rolled up a little bit, so you just see his abs, and then you see like Belichick like salivating. Yeah. Um, Detroit actually did the one thing that like it it really pisses me off when I see teams do this on draft day, and it wasn't as big of a scale um, in this trade as it as it has that I've seen other teams do in other trades. And that is, they gave up their third rounder next year, and their only return was getting a fourth rounder this year. Yeah, I've seen teams do that a lot. The I'm worst not, one being uh, I'll San Francisco I'll gave up their. The worst one being San Francisco gave up their first rounder in 2007 Joshua for the Garner, Pats' second rounder. And that's a, uh, Gerard Mayo, a 10th overall. Oh, they gave right. up a top 10 pick in that draft for a second rounder. Who did they take with the second rounder? I'm, that's what I was going to say. Let me look that up right now. You know which other one that I thought was really bad? Um, I think it was Denver. I'm pretty sure it was Denver. Gave up a first rounder to get a second rounder to pick up uh, Alfonso Smith, I think it was. Yes. The quarterback. Yes, that was a terrible and one. He was just awful. Like he, I think he was – he didn't make the roster like the second year or the third year. Like he was off the team real quick. And it really was even crazier is that uh, Seattle acquired that draft pick and that became Earl Thomas. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. He's pretty decent. I hear uh, Dallas is interested in him. Yeah, I hear that too. I, I, that could still go down too. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, I'm still looking for this uh, for this trade. I'm gonna I'll find it. All right, um, no problem. But we'll get back to it. Okay. Uh, continuing with the uh, Patriots draft, though. Um, so I think the other question too is. Marcus Cannon's already on the right side. Does Trent Brown go to the right and uh, Cannon goes to the left? Do they put Trent Brown on the left side? What, what do they do with the tackle position now with I, um, their longtime left tackle signing with the Giants this offseason? I don't think either of those guys uh, are going to play left tackle. So I think they're going to decide on one of them playing right guard and the other one playing right tackle. Um, I, I'm not really sure which direction they're going. I, uh, you know, to be honest with Cannon, I actually did like Cannon coming out. Uh, he, I, he's somebody I view as could play tackle in a pinch, probably a better guard. I'm not going to lie. He's been better at tackle than I even thought that he would be. I yeah, thought absolutely. He, I, I thought he had a chance to be, a, you know, a decent tackle, a really good guard. And, um, you know, he's, he's been a little up and down. And I know a couple of years ago he was awful. But uh, I think it was last year, not the one that passed, the previous one, where he was like the second rated, second best tackle in football, I think. Our right, best right tackle football, something like that. But yeah, know, I think it was the year they beat Atlanta, so 2016. Yeah, so you know he's he's really made a career out of it. So it's I'm I'm interested to see uh, what they're gonna do there. Uh, you know, uh, I think Trent Brown's a year away from free agency, so uh, I'm sure that he'd rather not play. Uh, you know, a, not gonna say devalue position, but a less value position. But you know what? I, at this point, I look at Brown and I think to myself, well, you've already proven you can play right tackle. If you play guard. You can literally cater yourself to any team that needs a guard or a tackle in next year's offseason. And you know what? Andrew Norwell proved this season that, man, guards get paid too, right? So, yeah. You know, if you, uh, guard, if, guards you love also. You know, so if you, if you can play both positions and you can excel at both positions, all that does is basically double your market because anybody who needs a tackle or a guard can, can look at you. Um, looking back at that trade, actually I made a mistake. I, uh, I guess I remember it differently. San Francisco traded their fourth round and their first rounder. Um, their, their fourth rounder in 2007 and their first round in 2008 to New England. Um, 
for New England's first and second round picks. Um, okay. And for the second yeah, – I'm sorry. For, for only one first rounder from New England. And they actually used it for Joe Staley. So that actually did work out for them in the end. Oh, okay. I do remember that trip then. Okay. Um, yeah, I but I could have – I could have sworn they like drafted somebody in the second round with New England's pick, and he was like somebody terrible, and they got Gerard Mayo the next year. Either way, you still gave up a top ten pick for Staley, um, but not as bad as what I thought it was. But I've definitely seen trades in the past though where you give up a, a higher round pick for the next year to get the pick like right then and there in front of you, which is, which I don't I don't agree with that kind of logic. Yeah, um, I hear you. Yeah, so. I think that about wraps up the, uh, the AFC South. So, uh, everyone, again, thank you so much for listening to us. We have uh, one more episode left. We're going to cover the – I'm sorry, AFC East. Um, we're going to cover the NFC East, which is going to be quite the doozy to listen to if you know Nick. So, um, eh, exactly. Uh, we'll see you guys later.